Warning, this episode includes topics of murder and extreme violence that some people might be uncomfortable listening to. Listener discretion is advised, especially for young children. You know, manipulating, carrying everything, and I was trying to get in the front door, and I distinctly heard the knob on the other side unscrewing. So, and it dropped to the floor and I couldn't use the door. The handle just came off in my hand. Some of the most iconic horror movies in cinematic history are actually based on a true story. And in this podcast, me, Yeshu Upasani, a paranormal believer, and me, Arvagunathan, a skeptic, dive deep into the true stories these movies are based on and argue whether there really was a supernatural presence or not. And in this season, we're setting out to answer the question of whether humans consciously open themselves up to the paranormal, or if all they're feeling is paranoia. Join us on this journey as we discover what's behind the story. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Story. And more excitingly, welcome to the first episode of season three. I cannot believe we made it this far. My name is Yashri Upasani, the demon, ghost, supernatural believing host who is going to introduce you to the possibility of the paranormal. And I'm Arvind Raghunathan, the skeptic who's going to use actual real science and cold hard facts to show you how the supernatural is just a thing that lives in the realm of fantasy. If you're new here, this is the podcast where we talk about the true stories that inspired famous horror movies, and we thank you very much for choosing our podcast over all your other options. We have a very exciting episode planned for you guys today, but it is going to be quite different compared to our others. This podcast has given Arvind and I the possibility to learn about some of the most interesting cases and meet the coolest people. A flashback reference to when we interviewed Pulitzer Prize winning author Stacey Schiff for our first episode last season. And we got to have over an hour of us just talking about witchcraft. So it was pretty awesome. The point we're trying to make here is that if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't have been able to learn as much as we did and will. You've probably seen in the title of the episode, but today we're going to interview the fabulous, incredibly talented Elizabeth Brundage, author of All Things Cease to Appear, a novel that turned into a Netflix original movie titled Things Heard and Seen. Other than being just one of the coolest people in the world, we reached out to her after learning about some very interesting things that happened in her life. According to the woman herself, she has had her fair share of paranormal encounters and shared them with us as we speculated why this had happened to her and whether there were whether there was some type of correlation behind it. Things Certain Scene was released on Netflix on April 29th, 2021, and it starred the incredible Amanda Seyfried, James Norton, and more. The film follows a young artist and a professor husband who moved to a small town and with their young daughter. Immediately, the wife begins to experience some things out of the ordinary as she realizes her house might be harboring something paranormal. Like we said before, the movie was based on Elizabeth's book, All Things Cease to Appear, which we definitely recommend checking out. Seriously, it's a 10 out of 10 book that just makes you feel so much as you read it, and it's something truly incredible. So now that you know what we're going to be covering this episode, let's talk about why the overarching... So now that you know what we're going to be covering this episode, let's talk about the overarching theme of this season. Last season, we attempted to figure out why humans are so interested in the paranormal, and whether it's their beliefs that cause them to conjure something up when it's not even there. And I at least think we came up with an answer. Yeah, the answer was that humans create all of the supernatural nonsense, and it's not real. No, the answer was that the supernatural is definitely real. Uh, agree to disagree? Never. 
But for this season, we've decided to abandon our unanswered thesis from last time and start something new. Because our motto here is, move on to the next thing before you finish the first one. Anyways, this season we're trying to figure out whether living with a supernatural entity, if they're real of course, is avoidable. In other words, do we as humans, psychologically and physically, open ourselves up to the possibility of being haunted? And while this seems like a bunch of questions that relate directly to the paranormal being real, there still is a gray area. If there is no such thing as ghosts or demons or anything, then how are we haunted by something? Do we make ourselves believe in the paranormal as a conscious act? We have a lot we're set to discover this season, and we're so excited that you're here for the ride. Before we get into anything else, a couple of podcast-keeping things. First, if you have anything you'd like us to know, send us a message. You can always let us know at our Anchor.fm website or on our social media accounts at Behind the Story on Instagram and Twitter, with a period between the INN for Instagram and an underscore between the INN for Twitter. And if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, make sure that you answer our poll question at the end of this episode, because we love hearing from you guys. Also, feel free to leave us a message or follow us wherever you're listening to. And I promise this is the last thing, the real last thing. If you've been listening to us since season one, you know we have a history of donating our funds to a charity. In season one, we donated to the Bailout Network to help the Black Lives Matter movement. In season two, we donated to the anti-Americans and Pacific Islanders to fight anti-Asian hate. And this season, we are donating to the Planned Parenthood because a woman's right to take care of her body the way she wants to is a fundamental right that should be never taken away. And now, let's explore the possibilities of the paranormal with Elizabeth Brundage, and we start right away with her explaining her own paranormal account. I was living in Hollywood, in California, and um, in the Hollywood Hills, and I rented this very cool apartment. I loved it. Um, it was up in the hills and very charming, like Spanish architecture, and the windows were really cool. They opened out, and I had this avocado tree right there. And when I was moving in on moving day, the guy said to me, who had lived there previously, he said, in a kind of a creepy way, he said, there are a lot of spiders, just kind of like that, you know, I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, of course I was living alone. And so I was in my early twenties and I would go to bed at night. I'm not kidding. I would feel this weight on me. Like somebody was like lying on top of me. It was okay. so creepy. Then um, there were puddles. I would find like puddles of water here and there. It was so weird. It was the creepiest apartment I've ever lived in. It was, that was six months, but that was weird. I mean, yeah. you know, we, I think some people are more open to this kind of thing. And if you're, if you're kind of creative person, you are willing to kind of entertain the possibility sort of thing. So that was my, I think that was my first experience. I, I was really freaked out. It was scary. Yeah. You could feel this weight on you. And it's it, terrifying. You know, so I immediately, I immediately started dating somebody. So I felt like <laughs> more comfortable in this, in the space, but oh yeah, yeah. It was scary. And then, yeah. Um, yeah. So, but then there were other experiences and the one that really inspired all things cease to appear the book was um, this house we rented in the country outside of Albany, it's Malden Bridge. And it was a great old house, probably about 1810, 1820. And I had, at the time, my husband was, um, had just joined 
a medical practice and he was like working all the time. Like I never saw him and I was teaching, but I, you know, it was, it was intermittent kind of thing. So, and you know, we had these two little girls, we move in there. And for some reason it had been for rent for a long time and nobody had moved in. So it was already kind of suspicious. We moved in there and the first day that we're in there, I'm taking a walk, walking the dog out on the street, a little country road in this little hamlet. And this kind of Boo Radley type guy comes up to me and he says, you know, that house is haunted. I said, no, I didn't know. And meanwhile, my, our, my two little girls are in the watching TV inside. And he said, oh yeah, the, the, that's why it's, it's rented. The owners, uh, whenever they would come here, they'd go out to dinner and and come home to find the furniture rearranged. Wow. Okay. And so I did start immediately. So that sort of put a bug in my ear thinking that, oh, well, maybe it is haunted. But I mean, I have to say there were things that happened. Uh, One night it was Thanksgiving. I had gone, we went to friends and we were coming home and I was holding the turkey in my hands. And so I, was having trouble, um, you know, manipulating, carrying everything. And I was trying to get in the front door and I distinctly heard the knob on the other side unscrewing. So, and it dropped to the floor and I couldn't use the door. The handle just came off in my hand. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was really creepy. That was like, that was a physical thing thing yeah we get in bed at night and we feel like somebody was jumping on the bed Whoa. so I, I consulted a psychic like who else do you talk to about this stuff yeah. and she said that there were children in the house three children three little girls which actually my kids told me they had seen these three little girl ghosts and I kid you not it's unbelievable and so I figured, okay, well, maybe the story is true that, yes, there are, in fact, these little girls. And so she said, just treat them like their children living in the house. It's kind of, you know, and other things happened that were incredibly creepy. That was before the internet. Okay. Yeah. Come in if, if I'm talking too much, but this was before the internet. So I, it, on Halloween night, let me back up to Halloween. I am not kidding. I had been working on something and I was going to print it out. Um, so I pressed print. Now remember, no internet at all. It didn't exist at that time, yeah. in, especially in the back cut in this country town. So I pressed print and the printer in fact starts printing, but it did not print my document. What did it print? It printed the face of a skeleton with the words boo, 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 making the graphic. If you can imagine that, I am not kidding. It was so weird. I was so freaked out, you know, that I said, um, and so I, that's when I consulted the psychic person and she said, well, you know what, just, just treat them as if they're children or whatever. So I hung it up on the refrigerator. It was so weird. Oh, I, I, I love cannot that. that was the weirdest house I've ever, ever lived in. And we didn't stay there long. You know? Yeah. Was that why? Because of the. Yeah, because like, it was it was just such a creepy house. 
And then let's see, let me think what else happened. So that was the skeleton. Oh, and then, so um, my little girl at the time, we, I had two little girls and one was three. Um, she must, she was, she was maybe um, three or four, somewhere around there. And she, one night I go, we go upstairs to get ready for bed and I see her point, looking and laughing and following something that I couldn't see across the room. I am not kidding. I was like, either my child is schizophrenic or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or having delusions or, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. Or, um, you know, this is, they're seeing an entity of some sort. Yeah. And so the next day I'm driving both of them to school and my older daughter says, there are these three little girls in the house, mommy. And she was only six. Like she didn't know, you know, it was, yeah. it wasn't like now where, where, where you have tablets and TV and internet and never, we didn't have anything there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she, they knew the name of these ghosts, like Joanna, Christina, something like that. And Juliana, like, where would they hear that name? It was like, it sounded definitive to me. It was just so weird. And then, um, so this is really crazy. I was, you know, my husband was totally skeptical. He was like, yes, you know, I'm really tired of going to bed. I'm, I'm not thinking about any of these things. And he, he was like living in an, a separate reality because I was in the house all day with the kids and it just was, seemed strange. It didn't seem like they were scary negative ghosts, but it seemed a little bit, you know, it was yeah. off. So we decided to move out and we found a different rental and it was the last day and I was cleaning up and I had lost track of that piece of paper with the skeleton on it. And so the house is empty, everything is out. And all of the sudden floating through the air was that piece of paper. It was so creepy. And then I, I was looking around just to make sure we had gotten everything. And I noticed a cabinet that I had never really opened. I had noticed it before, but I had never opened it um, in the corner. So in the 1800s, you know, they would build in corner cabinetry yeah. or whatever. So this was in the corner and it had a little cabinet on the bottom. I opened it up and what did I find? I am not kidding. I found three pair of shoes that would have fit the three little girls that my children were telling us about in and they were and I still have them actually they're probably um they're out in our we have a like a barn out there I'm sure they're out there um but they were like little suede boots that you would that would be appropriate to maybe the late 1700s early 1800s so then I I confirmed it was like confirmed that this was a real thing it was so weird it was it was really crazy bonkers it's like... it totally is it totally is i swear to god it happened i'm not even embellishing it i mean this, yeah. this this really happened and so years passed and i knew i wanted to do a ghost story of some sort and um i had heard about th- this murder that happened we, my husband was a resident up in rochester new york and there had been this notorious murder up there it was an open case and this woman had been killed with an ax and her husband came home and found her at five in the afternoon dead. And the, their little girl was sort of, sort of wandering around the house, you know? 
And so I thought, well, I'd love to kind of write about this murder story. It'd be very interesting to me, not the murder per se, but you know, the people involved and how yeah. it affected this whole town. And um, so I decided, well, you know, if I, if I knew anyone who was murdered, I'd sort of like to hear kind of their side of it. So I turned, turned that murdered woman into a ghost. And so that yeah. was the basis of all things cease to appear. It was like, cause you were talking about the whole, uh, the thing that happened with the doorknob and that all I could think of was from yes. the book when that happened. I, that's like, in oh. there. <laughs> I definitely used it. I, I put what I could in there just yeah. you know, to, uh, how, just, why not use it, you know? Exactly. And it really, I, the whole idea though, that like, um, that, I don't know, this, this daughter was just in the house when yes. like, was that, I that know. sat with me so weirdly. It was like, it's, it was so weird. And they, uh, time had, time has passed, you know, it's been, I think it was, so that happened in 1982, that murder and the husband is actually going to stand trial in, in, I think, I think July. Oh, wow. Summer, okay. June or July. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they finally found some evidence to bring him to trial. I don't know if he's guilty or not, but mm -hmm. I mean, the whole thing, that whole process. Yeah. Um, I lived in Rochester so many years ago, hearing the story and then waiting, you know, all these years, I published th three books and Mm -hmm. Then I was trying to figure out what to write. And I decided to go back to that story. Yeah. And so. The murder trial that Elizabeth is talking about here, which was one of the basis for her book, All Things Cease to Appear, as well as for the movie that we are covering for this episode, was that of 29-year-old Kathleen Krausnick. Now, I'm just going to give you a brief summary of basically everything that happened in this insanely insane case, and I will be reading directly from the Justia U.S. Law website. This is the People versus Krausnick case. Quote, on February 19, 1982, 29-year-old Kathleen Krausnick was murdered as she lay sleeping in her bed in her home at 33 Del Rio Drive in Brighton, New York. She was found by her husband, James Krausnick, when he returned home from work just before 5 o'clock p.m. with a long-handled axe embedded in her head. Their three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Sarah, had been, in had been in the house all day but was unharmed. James Krausnick told police he left for work that morning at 6.30 a.m. while his wife and daughter were still asleep. 37 years later, on November 1st, 2019, a grand jury indicted James Krausnick, the defendant, on one count of murder in second degree under section 125.25 of the penal law of the state of New York. End quote. Here are some more details about the case. Quote, the people detailed their intensive investigation beginning with their arrival at the Krausnick home just after 5 o'clock p.m. Investigators observed that a window of a door leading from the garage to the interior of the home had been broken, apparently using a two-foot mall found nearby. The main floor showed signs of a burglary with a silver tea set on the floor and contents of a woman's purse strewn about. Kathleen Krausnick's body was found in the couple's upstairs bedroom in the bed under the covers. Approximately $43 in cash was observed in plain view on a dresser that could be seen from the hallway outside the bedroom. Investigators did not observe any ransacking or signs of a burglary upstairs. The autopsy of Katherine Krausnick was completed by Monroe County Department Medical Examiner Dr. Evelyn Lewis. Dr. Lewis concluded that Kathleen Krausnick was murdered in her sleep by one blow of the axe to her head. Although not in her official report, Dr. Lewis told investigators she estimated the time of death, based on the body temperature, to be somewhere between 4.30 a.m. and 7.30 a.m. 
1986, the DA Howard Reland consulted the Monroe County Medical Examiner Dr. Nicholas Forbes. Dr. Forbes estimated, depending on the rate the body cooled, that Kathleen Krausnick died between 5.55 a.m. and 8.55 a.m. and cautioned that there was no precise way to determine the time of death. By this time, James Krausnick was the only suspect in an extremely circumstantial case. After conferring and analyzing the, the available evidence, BPD and the district's attorney office determined that his guilt could not be proven beyond a reasonable doubt due to a lack of physical evidence and questions about the time of death. The case essentially became a cold case. End quote. So, inevitably, they, I think, have been able to find something, some evidence to back him up. I believe that he is serving time right now, though I might be wrong about that because they did, you know, like I said earlier, give him one count of murder in the second degree. Um, and so that was just a quick re recap on the case. But before we head on to keep continuing this fabulous interview we're having where we learned so much, here's a quick message from our sponsors. How do you feel about like the whole skeptic side of it, you know, with, with people like Arvin? <laughs> Well, you know, they, they definitely can make a case sometimes, like Arvin, you were saying about the creaky floorboards in your house, and it could be the way the airflow goes across the floor and the floor boards are a little bit loose, and so it makes kind of a sound, you know, so there might be a way to explain these things that put us off, you know, that we think have something to do that are kind of spooky. But so I would say, you know, I think there are some people who are just more open to it. And I guess if you're open to it, you may have it, may be able to witness it um, at some point in time for some whatever reason. Yeah. You know, no, definitely. But I think who knows? Too. Who knows? It is sort of like astrology because, you know, sometimes you could say, oh, well, if you're uh, Aries and this and this happens on this day, you know, yeah. well, that's why, <laughs> of course, it happened, you know, but it's completely coincidental. Yeah, I'm not even sure how to, like, begin building a case against the amount of, like, physical evidence that has been, like, shown against uh, in this because, like, with haunted houses, when it comes to haunted houses and things like that, there's it's not as much things about the mind. It's a lot, a lot of physical evidence. So how often do you think houses are really haunted? You know, I think, you know, you know, when you drive by, you know, you drive through a, a neighborhood or something. And sometimes there are houses that just, they look forlorn, you know, they just sort of have that look. Um, and I think we bring a lot of our own storytelling to those kinds of houses that look, have this kind of pervasive gloom. And so it's, it, you know, it, it's um, inspires our imaginations to imagine, you know, to think about these kind of uh, possibilities. But um, I lived in another house uh, that was 1830 and I felt a presence in that house, definitely. And um, um, my daughter also did. This, is, this was not that long ago. And I just felt uncomfortable there. Like I just okay. couldn't, I couldn't really get comfortable. I think it's just if you're a sensitive person and you 
houses, you know, they're not just, they're not, you could see them as just inanimate things. But when you think about it, they contain our lives, right? They're containers of our lives, our history, our who we are. Um, and so it kind of makes sense that there would be, if, you know, people are living in them, people are living in and dying, there might be some, something left over afterwards. Yeah. You know, but of course it's all speculation. I mean, I don't know about these, the, the ghost hunters you see on TV, you know, like I'll, when, once in a while, I'll have, I'll tune into one and then I'll catch myself and make myself turn it off, you know, but yeah, um, I don't know. They seem to have equipment that they pick up sounds and vibrations and, but there's no definitive evidence. I don't think, is there that you know of in your not, research? Not that we found. <laughs> I think yeah. it's also, I think like um, we kind of, Arvin and I rip a little bit into ghost shows because we both don't like them very much and we kind of make fun of them on our podcast because of both the rigging of it sometimes and also the um just I don't know I think it's some I think it's a very sensitive thing that like if if like you said like if you're a connected person I think you just feel it and I think sometimes if you have all this equipment you're not gonna catch something like more reliably than I think if you would catch it if you kind of just like zoned in on the space you were in and kind of just fenced around Right, exactly. And I also think that, you know, I think it's the, such a mystery, you know, that intrigues people, you know, people like to think, they ponder the idea of, you know, what happens after death and do you, does your, you know, if you're, have, you're unresolved or whatever in your life, you know, is your spirit not at rest? So people like to think about that and imagine that there is this potentiality of life after death, you know, that you can yeah. continue to go on. And so I think that's part of the mythology that makes it so um, ever, ever, everybody, you, you can't stop thinking, you know, it's always here. It's ever present. We, there's always somebody who thinks there's going to, there's a ghost lurking mm-hmm. about, you know, right. <laughs> so yeah, so I guess like going off of the whole ghost hunters thing, do you feel like the like how uh, horror movies, ghost hunters, all these types of things like embellish the horror element? Do you feel like that takes away from the reliability and makes people more likely to think it's fake? I do. Well, you know, I mean, an example of um, I think what I tried to do in my novel, for example, is to really look at kind of the um, more of the psychology of the characters in the space and feeling feeling as if there's somebody lurking about, you know, it turns out to be this woman um, who, I, I don't wanna give it away who she is, but it's not that the murdered woman, it's another woman who was living, who had lived in the house. And I was more interested in what we leave behind sort of, you know, our history in a house and how we live in a house and the house kind of um, either, you know, depending on the kind of life uh, people live in a house, um, the house definitely suffers the consequences. If there's violence in the house, you know, you would think that there's something, some of that violence kind of just 
lingers, you know, it's, it's crazy. But I, so not in terms of, I wasn't thinking of ghosts in terms of, you know, these scary presences, uh, scaring other people as, as they come, you know what I mean? Like, uh, there is something creepy about hearing a piano playing when there's nobody sitting there playing the piano. And that's like an old ghost trick, which I did end up putting in. But, um, you know, I think it's more the scary, the really scary thing is the real terror comes from not knowing and picking up these scary vibes that are a result of the way the people lived in the house before. Yeah. The bad things that happened in the house. So I think that's scarier to think about, you know, than than these t- terrifying, you know, entities who come out to to scare the daylights out of you. I think it's actually the reality of what happens in certain houses. And in this case, you know, this sad family who had been living there who lost everything. And uh, there was like a double suicide in the house. Um and then this young couple from New York, they move in. And, um, and so there's, you know, um, residual evidence of the previous family um, that comes across for these new residents. And so I guess we're, we haunt each other. We're haunted by the things that really happen in our lives. And that's more scary. That's what I was more interested in when I was writing the book, the sort of realities that we we live yeah. with in our daily lives that haunt us if that makes sense no it does it's it's all it's all very interesting and it, i i didn't i we had a our latest episode i think was just a very long one on haunted houses in general and my case as our paranormal believer i brought up a lot kind of what you're saying about the whole prospect of like the history of the house is what influences whether it's like haunted or not so it's like if Mm-hmm. The, the the tragedy or the violence or just like the hardships that might have happened yes. previously transcend into the new owners who like take the house now and it's it's great I love that you kind of basically confirmed it I appreciate that yeah I think that's really what it boils down to I really do and um but you know I mean Hollywood does a great job at scaring us you know yeah and there it it makes us it perpetuates this idea this possibility that Mm -hmm. ghosts exist and that these scary entities exist yeah and who knows maybe they do (laughs) it's fun to think about yeah so i know in some like past interviews you've talked about like the strong ties between faith and religion and faith and ghosts so I was wondering if you think um, those who lack faith in ghosts might also lack faith in religion, or if those connections are only observed by the people who look at them. Oh, that's tricky. Um, well, faith in, in general, you know, everyone has sort of their own, uh, own degree of faith, I guess. And, or, and religion means different things to different people. So it's such a, um, there's so many variables, but I think there's a lot of um, storytelling in religion, of course, that's used to uh, allegories that are used to teach people ethical things. And um, 
there's a lot of that kind of mythology um, <clears throat> that is really is kind of you know because it's it has to do with morality it's it's um serious it's like the lines are pretty seriously drawn between good and evil and so i think that um those same ideas exist in like it all fiction for example um ultimately there's always there's there's always some thread of good versus evil and so i think that it it um has something to do with that in terms of religion and faith good versus evil the non-believer sort of you know if you believe um you you know ghosts and these entities scary entities won't harm you because you are you know you have the light of god or jesus or whatever you know protecting you so i think that's just sort of the traditional way that we've been taught about ghosts in a sense yeah. um is that helpful at all yeah, I, yeah. I, you could you could look at paintings you know like on you know paintings of angels and uh jesus and angels and you know all of this stuff and it's sort of, sort of that's like the mythology that's woven through our culture over the over time it's kind of, you know it's kind of interesting and then you have the, the devil and the evil you know <laughs> darkness and you know so it's interesting to think about i was wondering did you ever research into the house you lived in in uh around albany that had the three little girls who haunted it I asked a man, uh, a local guy, there was no art, his, uh, no um, town historian um, at the time when I was, I don't think there is now. And, but I did ask this man who was an antique dealer, <clears throat> local antique dealer, who also he himself lived in a haunted house. And he told me that there had been a mill um, uh, it's it's called Malden Bridge. He said at one time there had been a mill or something and the water was tainted or something. And, you know, maybe that's what happened. Yeah. You know, I never got the real story okay. um, about what happened, but I did find, we found some weird things. In fact, I have this weird, let me see if I have this here. We found in the... You know, this is it's not unusual to find like things left behind in the walls when they mm -hmm. when they do like uh, work on a house, an old house. Sometimes they find stuff, and I did find, I did find some weird stuff. Um, I, I'm trying to see. Oh, here it is. I found this seahorse. Check this out. Oh wow. Oh okay. Yeah, that was like in the walls. It's really old. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> of all things. And it's made out of metal. And um, it's probably from that time period. Yeah. But I, I keep it here with me as my wow. little good luck charm. But isn't that weird? But it's so interesting. So I know. And then the shoes that I found, that was so creepy. Yeah. And 
I should have to, I wish I had gotten them out for before our conversation, but next time, next time. Next time. Because uh, I, I we moved in July and all this stuff is in boxes up and so it's crazy. Yeah. But you know, but I think it's fun. It's kind of interesting. I th- I think you know when you are a storyteller and it, it sounds to me like you are a, you want to be a writer yeah. and I don't know both of you are maybe we'll see but um, I think when you are a person who's interested in stories. Um, this kind of thing is really intriguing because it means that there are multiple layers in in the world, you know? Yeah. That everything isn't just face value. There's dimension and layers beyond it that have meaning to us, you know, that are meaningful. And so I think that's kind of cool, you know? No, I totally agree. You can use that a lot when you write. Yeah. Um, you know, depending on what you're writing. And that's, I think, it's a kind of magic that exists um, in everyday life. You know, the way the light falls, the sunlight comes in and it looks, I'm sorry, but my my daughter's playing with the dog. Can you, I don't know if you can hear that. It's the squeezy toy, you know, that makes that squeaky noise. But, you know, I think those are the things that intrigue us you know, that when we see things like that, the way the light falls, the wind in a curtain, um, you know, a swing, swinging in the breeze, an empty swing. You know, these images that yeah. are used often in scary movies, but they're intriguing because it's all about the unknown, the things that we don't know, things that we can't prove, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that's, it's kind of cool. It's yeah. Cool no, it really, it really is. Um, you mentioned before that uh, this wasn't the only paranormal experience with this house. You had one when you lived in that apartment. Did, has it followed you kind of? Like, do you think? Yeah, it's, I think it's so weird. I mean, I don't, it's nothing I would really talk about too much because people probably think I was crazy. But <laughs> no, it just, it turns out when you live in a lot of old, old houses, you know, I don't know. It's different. It's just very different when you live in a really old house. Yeah. You know, you're living in a piece of history, so you can't help thinking about what went on here, you know, what mm-hmm. at that time period, you know? And so the house I'm living in now is 1790. I mean, that's really old. Wow. Yeah. And I don't really know too much about this house, about what, what went on here, really. But it has a pretty good vibe. So, yeah. So far, so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, something uh, my mom says this a lot. She goes, "If you uh, if you're nice to the house, the house will be nice to you." I totally agree with that. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, uh, cool. yeah. Because my mom's very conscious. She like does things a certain way, and she uh, wants everything to be a certain way. And it's like all that kind of stuff. And then my dad doesn't really care much about what happens in the house or what we change with it or anything like that my mom's like it's a it's a whole moment she got to sit there she got to make sure it fits what was supposed to be fit that way yes I love that I love that I can definitely relate to that that's perfect so yeah so have you heard in your investigation of this subject have you heard any really scary stories I mean, have you, are you convinced? 
Have you been well, convinced? I have always been, I think, convinced of the paranormal. I think the more we do it, the more, I guess less convincing, more learning has happened because the more I've learned, it's kind of like be, I think the human mind is it's very powerful, which we all know, like that's kind of something we're always aware of. But I think it's like, in, I think I never realized how much we ignore that fact. Like it's inherent, you know, you talk to people and you know, you're like, oh, you're so smart because it's like, it's just like, there's something very powerful about the human mind, but people have very good sensations, I think, because of that. So they know they're about to get into a bad situation and yet they choose to ignore that. And they're like, right. no, you know, I'm overthinking it or I'm crazy or it's just, it's not what it's supposed to be. And we cover these stories and I'm like, if you had just trusted your original gut instinct, yes. instinct. Would happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. It's true. And I think, I think that's a good point that we really underestimate the power of our abilities to think and um, the power of the mind. I agree with you completely. And thus concludes our incredible interview with the fabulous Elizabeth Brundage. I know that it seemed a little bit of an abrupt ending, but that is because like all fascinating people end up doing, we strayed from our paranormal topic and instead told a bunch of personal stories and made fun of Arvind and <laughs> just had a fun time with all of those types of things, which just did not pertain to this episode. Uh, so I cut them out, but I hope you enjoyed the interview. And now let us move on to Arvind and I concluding this episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode and once again a big thank you to Elizabeth Brundage for being on this episode and letting us interview you. We had so much fun and had some really great discussions about the prospect of the paranormal and it was so much fun to have someone who could give us a first-hand paranormal account. I think it added some more weight to my team. You wish, but seriously, a big thanks to Elizabeth and a final big thank you to you guys for letting this episode even be possible. If you have any thoughts or conspiracies from this episode that you would like to share with us, send us a message on our Anchor.fm website or message us at Behind the Story on Instagram and Twitter with a period between the I and N for Instagram and an underscore between the I and N for Twitter. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, let us know who else you would like us to interview. Our next episode is coming out in two weeks, so tune back in then to learn about everyone's favorite urban legend, Candyman. We hope you have an amazing week, and remember, there's always more to uncover behind the story. See you next time. Thank you.